Oh, am I excited? Kalia Johnson's back on the show. For those of you who remember, she has been on Occupied before, but by I was not even popular demand, like I was essentially ordered that I must bring her back, which I promptly replied to because I bow to peer pressure like that. Uh, we had an amazing and very spicy conversation, uh, and I can't wait for you guys to hear it. I would love your feedback uh, with essentially the, the grand scheme of things. We are making a call to arms for the pro- profession to do more, be more, and become better than we already actually think that we are. So, without further ado, enjoy the episode. G'day, my name's Brock Cook and welcome to Occupied. In this podcast, we're aiming to put the occupation in occupational therapy. We explore the people, topics, theories and underpinnings that make this profession so incredible. If you're new here, you can find all of our previous episodes and resources at OccupiedPodcast.com. But for now, let's roll the episode. So yeah, I guess we wanted to sort of look at your your journey uh, into how you got where you are now, and into the I guess the causes and the the research that you're you're currently looking into. Um, how far back does that does that did that does that journey start before you started OT, or how far back should we delve to start with? Um, I don't know that we want to start all the way back because okay. um, I've been an OT 15 years now. <laughs> and we did we did but, cover uh, a little bit of like how you got into the profession and stuff in the last episode that you're on. That's that's right. Well, I guess where I can start is sort of the, the clinical experiences that um, I think really changed the trajectory of my work. Yeah. Um, after I'd moved to North Carolina to pursue my PhD at the University of North Carolina, um, I was um, subcontracting through a company that was providing um, services to the state um, in developmental centers or intermediate care facilities for adults with intellectual and developmental disabilities and was just really finding it very difficult to do my job. <laughs> um, like basically being told not only by the facility, but really dictated by the state sort of what the range of an occupational therapy evaluation looked like. Um, and the expectation for me to not um, write up a treatment plan or do any additional consultation with staff pertaining to addressing any sort of um, occupational needs of the residents there. And so I'm sort of looking at this like, well, one, what what's the point of occupational therapy then if it is not for me to draw on my professional expertise to say sort of like here here are some things that are problematic whether it's just about being able to participate um, or if they're real real safety considerations um, in these facilities and here's how we can address them sort of develop a treatment plan always you know in collaboration with staff they wanted no parts of that and so the more I pushed the more they pushed <laughs> and um yeah, I just went to my advisor, Nancy Bagatelle, and just said, I don't, I don't care what my dissertation is about, but it has to center these sorts of issues. 
Um, and so it's like, what are the really the the policies that mediate not only what I was able to do as a therapist, but really how the people with IDD in these facilities are just able to live regular lives, you know, um, so even with, being with, able with to choose kind of like what they eat. Sorry, mm-hmm. with that kind of stuff, because we have you know similar kinds of issues in Australia as well. Do you think that the issue is like outdated policies or policies that have just been made in a uninformed way? I think it's a little bit of both, right? You know, there's definitely some historical attitudes towards people with disabilities that inform the the policies when they were written some time ago, but they are supposedly <laughs> revived with, you know, thinking around environmental supports and person-centeredness and all of these things, but you still have all these antiquated ideas of what that's supposed to look like. Like, it can't be person-centered without actually considering the person. Mm. <laughs> you know, how do you have a, a, a conference about what somebody can do and they're not there or they, you know, or the, even their caregivers aren't included in the decision-making, like make it make sense. So many times. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like, you know, the, the literature already tells us that with appropriate supports, people can participate, Yeah, you know, but because, you know, they're in this congregate situation, there's the thought or a, like, really it's the culture of the entire enterprise, right. That, um, the folks who live in these facilities can't make decisions, can't do for themselves, don't know what's best for themselves, like all of these ridiculous things that we hear all the time. Yeah. I and think- it's not just even these facilities. I mean, it happens in group homes too. They're yeah. like, oh, they're out in the community. It's like, no, these places have institutional qualities as well. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, I've experienced exactly the same thing in various mental health settings. Uh, mm-hmm. Inpatient, community, same thing. And one of the real simple things that we pushed for before I moved into academia was getting the, the person involved in their own case conference. I'm like, oh, shock right. horror. We're going to have a right. group of people sitting around talking about them. But then people were worried about bringing them in because, well, they're going to hear what we say. I'm like, well, yeah, they're going to hear what you say. You're talking about them. Like, right. well, what, what are you saying about them that they can't hear or that they shouldn't hear? Uh, it, and and does that one does that thing need to be said if there is something or are you just making them out and out of a molehill and a lot of the the pushback that we had was more it seemed anyway more just because oh we've never done it that way it's always been done this way i'm like well that doesn't mean you can't change it but people are just kind of stuck in their ways there's no Mm -hmm. there was no policy saying that it couldn't happen it was more just, mm-hmm. oh, this is how we've always done it. Or either right. that or, oh, it's quicker if we just zoom through it. I'm like, hey, yeah. is it as well, effective? But, <laughs> yeah. The funny thing here is, and I'll, I'll speak for the state specifically, um, there, there, are, there are policies in place to include people with IDD, um, as well as people with mental health, because they fall under the same um, set of standards and guidelines. Yep. Um, but in practice, it doesn't happen, which is bizarre to me. Um, I'm just like, you're not even in compliance when you worry about compliance all the time. Yeah. Um, when, it's so it's con- like, when it's convenient. <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> I'm going to be in compliance when the state surveyor shows up. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. 
So where uh, did you where did you so that was for your PhD? What did you what, mm-hmm. did, what did you find? Um, that basically we we legislate ourselves into these holes, right? And it's and it's all fed by attitudes that you know again people with intellectual and developmental disabilities um, are not in a position to um, contribute to their own care um, in ways that people believe are are safe or that make make sense um and that these habilitation centers or developmental centers um on paper say that they're there to sort of support um the development of skills and all these things to help people return to the community when in fact they all they do is perpetuate custodial care you know they're really sort of built like skilled nursing facilities you know, with the exception of some adolescent programs, like respite programs and that sort of thing. Um, and that until we have people at the state and national level who I think truly understand that the things we're talking about is about human rights. This isn't about, you know, just simple healthcare sorts of things. This is, you know, People have a right to choose what they want to eat and when they eat it. You know, people have a right to be out in the community. Like, people have the right to the very basic things that we take for granted. And they're not, these asks are not exceptional. They're not exceptional. Yeah. You know, stop stop treating it as such. Um, the, the people who are charged with their care 24 hours a day, you know, these frontline workers, um, their, their work is grossly undervalued. They're not treated as experts in the care of people with IDD because they don't have a particular license, right? So even how um, sort of the, the programming happens is, you know, very elitist in a way. It's like, oh, well, if they're not the psychologists, they're not this, they're not that then one, we have to take, you know, their opinions of what, you know, Mr. Tom can do with a grain of salt because, you know, what do they really understand about X, Y, and Z? Yeah, I can't yeah. tell you like how much that showed up in my, in my data, you know, so we have so much more work to do, not just with how these facilities operate, although I am in favor in abolishing all of them. Um, but in doing so, we have to make sure there is a cultural shift, um, just about people with disabilities in general, but really, you know, understanding that we're talking about basic human rights, you know, meeting the minimum threshold of people to be able to live the lives they want to lead. And it's, yeah. I, I, it, it's really interesting because I've always found and I've, I've had a number of conversations with clinicians here about essentially the people with the highest paychecks usually know the least about the people they're treating. And like and another thing I used to hammer into whenever I had students, I'm like, get to know the cleaners, because I can mm-hmm. guarantee you on this is on an it was on an acute unit, they know everything about everyone and everything that happens on that ward. And you know, if you need help, doesn't even matter what it is. If you need help, they know who can give it to you. Blah blah blah. They were uh, a more helpful resource than any other clinical, you know, highly educated, multiple degrees, high paycheck staff that could ever walk through that front door mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. they're just around the people all the time. Yeah. So they yeah. get to know them. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. And when I was a clinical instructor regularly uh, before going back to school, I would do the same. That's like the interdisciplinary care team is not just the licensed folk. You yeah. know, when we talk about considering exactly. the entire environment, it's everybody mm. in it. <laughs> you know, like you said, like you said, and it's and it's wild that we preach that in OT, right? But it's really not practice. Oh. You know, I used to, I used to get so like the the rehab managers and things at some of these facilities. Sometimes we get bent out of shape if I would include in a note that you know I developed the plan in collaboration with staff. It's like, first of all, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a contractor. I'm not here every day. Uh. You know, I'm not in the buildings all day, every day. You know, sometimes the evaluation was my first time meeting somebody. So the only thing I know about them is what's on a chart and what staff is telling me. Right. So how do, how do, what do I look like? Mm. <laughs> you know, saying like, oh, this is all, these are all the things that, you know, Miss Betty's going to need. It's like, no. Let's sit down and talk about, you know, what's their history? You know, what's a typical day like? What is it that you're actually able to do? What sort of supports do you need to be able to do that? You know, and if Miss Miss Betty doesn't use conventional language, you know, spending some time in the building observing how it is she does communicate and communicate her interests and likes and speaking to the staff about how to incorporate that so they don't have these you know arbitrary behavioral plans i hate that term so much because they're like oh well she doesn't want to sit down and you know eat her peas like we want her to it's like well because she likes her dessert first yeah <laughs> you know <laughs> but we don't want her to eat her dessert first you know it's just ridiculous bs but i'm like if you were at your home and you decided you wanted your cheesecake before your salad <laughs> I'd probably just, skip, probably just skip the salad and just eat the cheesecake, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, I personally love salad, you know, but yeah, um, <laughs> yeah but, but, you know, it's, there are those sorts of arguments that I'm like, are we really spending time yeah. on this? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Are we really spending time on this? Yeah. Because I, I often wondered, and you, you touched on it before about who's included in the team, and I wondered why... I've never seen any literature or anything that has included, say, like, one, the person or the family or, you know, their caregivers or their support workers or anything in the MDT, like, as a definition. And I don't know mm-hmm. why. Like, I, I, I wonder whether or not just even including them in the sort of the term of the treating team would actually create more, I guess, inclusive opportunities or make it or or normalize it, normalize, you know, having them involved more. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because we know like what's, what's written changes everything, right? If, if it's not in black and white, then it's, it's excluded. They're excluded. Mm. So, yeah. Because there's a lot of the stuff that I've read too, even around uh, and, this is my interpretation of a lot of the stuff, but it, a lot of the stuff that you read around client-centered care, a lot of the models that you look at client-centered care, it still discusses it as a or discusses them as an other, 
it's you know yes we're doing this we're putting them in the middle and we're doing this but they're still them and we're still us and we're mm-hmm. still you know yes okay we're listening to them or they might be driving the 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 treatment is you know the usual sort of inclusive language that gets used in those kinds of papers but there's right. still a separation there's still mm-hmm. there's no we talk about teamwork and we talk about you know cohesion and we talk about all those sort of things but none of the models or none of the frameworks that we use even for client centered care do it <laughs> right have yeah. you, is that something yep. you found? Because obviously you've looked at a lot more of that literature than I have. Yeah. Um, nope. The exact same. You know, there's, it's almost like a passive mention, right? It's like, hmm. we have to make sure we include this one phrase about include centered on how the occupation drives what actually happens in treatment. Hmm. And uh, sorry, I'm actually getting a, internet unstable message um and you know i think that it it creates this false narrative if you will that you know this is something that we ascribe to in therapy and that it should happen in the ways that that's represented in some of these articles or in textbooks um megan blaskowitz wanda mahoney and i um, did a massive um, scope and review of like all all the literature. So not just what's um, represented in American journals, but journals across the world that publish anything about people with intellectual and developmental disabilities. And, you know, literature about sort of like inclusive treatment planning or um, the inclusion of people with intellectual disabilities in the therapeutic um, decision-making process was minimal minimal (laughs) and i'm just like how how even in now 2021 with so much talk about self-determination um about you know person-centered or client-centered planning and all these things are we are we still seeing this blinding gap in what we're actually publishing about it so it's like are people actually doing it how are they doing it, if they're doing it at all? Um, so the, the minimal stuff that you did find, because I'm like trying to find the silver lining in this, was it mm-hmm. was it more recent? Like are we actually moving towards that or is it just sort of scattered throughout the last decade and it's just kind of a non, something that people just aren't even considering? Yeah, no, I mean it's, it's definitely more recent um, just because we – that was the, the range of the dates that we use. So yeah, it's, yeah. it's all um, more recent literature. But I, I mean, it's still concerning that it was, yeah, it was oh, yeah, not yeah. as much as we, we thought we might find. Um, and granted, this is not all occupational therapy literature. This is also literature that can relate to occupational therapy practice. Like oh, yeah, the yeah. OT specific kind of literature is still, you know, specific to, of course, IDD um, is, is still growing. Um, so we're drawing from special education and nursing and psychology, psychiatry, um, which, you know, is no secret to anyone that sort of over the history of those organizations too, the way um, people with IDD or disabilities in general have been talked about has not been favorable. <laughs> so, nope. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I do think, you know, overall, at least um, there is 
somewhat an intention um, in occupational therapy to make sure that we are addressing um, the interests and needs of um, the the communities we serve. Because, you know, we, we ask about it in an occupational profile, right? So, but it would... It would be my hope that we take it a step further and, and sort of treat it like we do in participant action research, right? That people are actually included from the beginning, <laughs> that everything about them is what drives our, our decision-making process, right? They are driving the evaluation and the treatment development or, I mean, intervention development planning and, and discharge planning yeah. on top of that. So, Because I, yeah. I wonder, uh, probably calling out the whole profession here, but... Uh do it <laughs> yeah oh, wouldn't be the first time um i wonder ot's are really good how far back do i want to go ot's are really good at patting each other on the back and saying how amazing we are but i oh, yeah. maybe i'm a pessimist i don't see all of the amazing things that people think we do i don't think we are doing as well as we could be or should be doing uh, and mm-hmm. this is one of those areas where I don't think we're doing well at all, even though most I do, most OTs, whether it's just because we come, uh, I mean, demographic-wise, when you look at the profession worldwide, majority of people are coming from a fairly privileged position. You know, mm-hmm. We've got a, a profession that's mostly you know, middle-aged, white, predominantly female, well-paid, highly educated, like they're ticking, mm-hmm. all, ticking all the high socioeconomic sort of boxes. Mm-hmm. And I wonder whether a lot of these kinds of issues kind of get pushed aside under the guise of sort of buzzwords. Uh, yeah. I see I see it a lot in mental health when people talk about recovery, uh, which is, you know, essentially exactly what we're talking about. The recovery model is meant mm-hmm. to be client driven and you know putting them in the driver's seat of their own care and us just being there as a sort of supports along the journey and all that sort of thing and it gets mentioned and you know our treatment plans are called recovery plans and all of this sort of stuff but does it ever actually really get done the way it should get done um right same as it's about the optics right yeah and that's you know, it, you know how, oh, how, yeah, does, how does it box. how does it look we tick a box yes yeah. Yeah, so yeah we're and i you know the one that really annoys the shit out of me is holistic. Oh yeah, OTs are holistic. I'm like, we freaking well are not. And if you are, you're doing stuff that's one way out of scope, usually, uh, or not OT at all. I'm like, and you can be holistic. There's no reason to, you know. I'm not saying that you can't be holistic and you know look at absolutely everything, but uh, OT as a profession isn't holistic, like mm-hmm. by definition just have to look at it but yeah. it's, it's one of those buzzwords that oh this makes us sound good i'll uh yeah i'll throw that one in yeah you know whole holistic well first i'm gonna go um, i'm gonna back up and talk about the patting each other on the back mm. thing um it is it is prolific for sure um you know i think about just what's been happening in our national association here in the last year and a half um with you know the sort of the self accolades there's a <laughs> some people refer to it as a circle jerk uh, but you know just this <laughs> i was gonna say that before but i was like no i'll yeah. try and be polite but not yeah, but, yeah, well, 
I that's usually I, how I, I, I like being. I try to be as real as possible, right? I think people know I like that I, I curse and say all sorts of other Good. Have things. At it. Yeah, but you know that's that's the thing though. It's like, oh, we're gonna we're going to pat ourselves and and each other, like everybody in our circle on the back for doing these things that we think we're doing hmm. uh, and doing well. And I think our organization here uh, last year, you know, the, the profession just decided it's going to hold a mirror to it. Right. So like, here's, here's what you say you're doing and here's what's really happening. And no, your, your, your governance isn't as awesome as you think it is. You can't talk about uh, diversity and equity when, you know, at every level of the organization, there's no diversity, you know, um, as far as inclusion, this is a representative organization, but you, you know, make sweeping decisions without including the actual feedback that you're getting from representatives. And then to say that you don't want to get involved in something because a person is or is not a member is ridiculous. It's like, whether we give you money or not, if you're supposed to be the national governing body, you got to step up, right? But no, it's like, we're going to pat ourselves on the back because, you know, we make ourselves look good on our website. And, you know, which um, all of the other big na- international organizations think think we're great because you know they model themselves after after what we do. Which personally, you know, I, don't, I don't even like their <laughs> I don't even like their website. It's terrible. Yeah, uh, it, <laughs> it, it it's a little bit better than it used to be. I will say that. Um, but yeah, and then there's the thing about buzzwords, right? Buzzwords. Um, there, there's a term now that's being thrown around: wokies. You know, using particular language right to really i don't want to put this to have the appearance that you are about the life without being about the life we'll just we'll put it like that i i I would (laughs) refer to that as virtue signaling Mm -hmm. i like that too i like that too yeah Yeah. that's how it's commonly referred to well i assume in many places, but that's uh, my circles and my people I know that's commonly referred to as that mm-hmm. would be exactly yeah. that. People that are putting out the, or trying to put out the impression of, uh, you know, caring about a certain cause or a certain topic or something, but never actually doing anything sort of to progress whatever it is. Right. You know, not making meaningful contributions at all it's more for, um, the, more for the social capital than anything else right and and honestly you know where where are they where are they gaining the social capital like with whom you know only, still still only within that privileged circle like these, mm. these things occur oh, yeah. for them to make themselves look good right for um and, and it's strange, right? Because I'm an OT from a certain socioeconomic <laughs> background and I have um, privileges in my own ways, but somebody who is a cultural outsider, you know, a minoritized practitioner, I still look at things from an outsider perspective and I'm like, they really believe that the work we're doing is in some way addressing health disparities um, when literature still supports by and large that folks from black and brown communities like children with autism are still you know uh, receiving diagnoses much much later um even in my own professional experiences i could count on one hand 
in a year's time how many minoritized patients I would have in a patient rehab. It's like, so you mean to tell me, you know, when your community is 40% um, Latinx that they're not, you know, they don't, they don't come to this hospital they for just, just after never, having a stroke. never get injured. <laughs> yeah. Incredibly like, resilient. Get out of here with that. <laughs> you, know? Yeah. you know, it's, it's just, it's so, it's so beyond all comprehension that somehow all of these well-educated, well-meaning folk can see the data and still believe that they are making intentional, meaningful contributions to the betterment of all of these things that we're pointing out. Like they, they honestly believe it. And I'm just like, how, how? (laughs) It's like living in two different realities. (laughs) I think one of the things that from my, again, from my perspective, from my position in sort of looking at some of these issues as they tend to come up over time and uh, get their, their time in the spotlight, so to speak. Um, one of the, the things that I think enables people to, you know, get that sort of dopamine hit from caring about a, a, a particular topic for a short period of time and then moving on is that I see a lot of these uh mainly on social media a lot of these sort of causes these things come up and people are there to bring awareness and i'm like but we're already aware mm-hmm. of it like, we don't need we right. don't need awareness we need action uh mm-hmm. we've got the awareness we know it happens yeah. um yeah. like then there yeah, are we, we love admiring problems we, oh, like, yeah, we yeah. love to admire <laughs> but i think that's it we we almost like bringing awareness to someone uh, to someone to something is almost just from a marketing point of view is almost like sexier than actually doing something about it like getting your hands dirty you know putting aside your own privileges your own life your own whatever's going on and actually you know helping someone who can't actually help themselves due to not having the opportunity or not having the access to services or whatever it is Posting on social media or, you know, making a big hoo-ha about something just to bring awareness to it from a marketing right. point of view is, one, it's sexier. People will enjoy looking at that more. And two, mm-hmm. it's easier. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. so much mm-hmm. easier. And you're going to get more yeah. social capital from it. People are, you know, yeah. you're going to get more like, oh, my God, you're amazing. You, you, you care about these things and blah, 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 without putting in yeah. any effort, which kind of sucks. Yeah, and that, and I'm, I'm going to link the the holistic conversation to this as well. Um, just about the whole like OT influencer sort of oh. thing that's happening <laughs> on Instagram in particular. Like, I don't really see it as mm. much anywhere else. Um, you know, like like you said, wanting to bring awareness to something, and you know, linking it to some other group that lists tangible steps and all these things. That's fine and great. But doing the work is something that I would bet everything I own that these folks aren't even doing, right? Like, they, they want the appearance of caring, of um, believing in equity, in, you know, uh, portraying someone who considers advocacy as part of their practice and not something that they do in addition to their practice. And I, if I 
I don't know, maybe, maybe, maybe some of us need to like have a camera follow us around and, and stuff, but the work that goes into doing some of the things that a few of us are actually talking about and doing, they would, they would think, cause I still think they would post about it, but they mm. might think a little bit longer about posting before they actually do it. You know, the, the letters we write, the phone calls we write, the actually, you know, getting on the ground with folks, the, the ridiculous DMs that we get and, you know, not death threats or anything, but, you know, phone calls for our employers because they think that, you know, we're being racist in some way. And not, I'll put this out there. It's like black people cannot be racist, right? That involves a system of power. That is something I do not have, will probably never have in my lifetime. Um, you know, it is more than just putting out your, um, I don't even know what they call them in, in, in Instagram, right? Your, your little campaign with all of your slides, Yeah, yeah. you know, this is about doing work that impacts people's actual lives. So when we talk about being holistic, cause I, I, I do see myself as a, as a holistic practitioner, but when I say that, I mean, the considerations that I give in the work that I actually do. So um, I'm thinking about the social factors, you know, not just, you know, what are the sort of physical supports and barriers? What are the social supports and barriers? You know, what are are the policies around what I can do as a therapist? You know, what are the policies about um, the the services that my client is going to have access to? Where do they live? How is that community set up? Mm. So, you know, all of these other things that we really need to consider when, you know, we want to talk about holism and person-centeredness like these other things should go into your clinical reasoning and therapeutic process when when we work with our clients and and if you find that there are these barriers which we know that there are plenty um then that's that's where sort of your professional ethics and the advocacy come into play I think people look at advocacy as this thing that's like a appendage or something you just attach to OT when you go to Hill Day in America or uh, whatever government thing they have set up with WFOT conferences. Like all of these things, it's like, oh, I'm going to do my advocacy like yeah. on this Saturday in that's, July. It's National Advocacy <laughs> Day. That's it. You know, but it is, Box it is practice. It <laughs> is practice. It's not in addition to um, our practice is very much part of our practice. Um, yeah. Yeah. There's two things I want to touch on. One slight side note, because you touched on something that I'm quite passionate about is mm-hmm. uh, with regards to like how you, you were talking about how you look at, you know, the social aspects and everything. And I, I, I believe that because it's one of the things that I, I've taught to students before is around, you know, that real basic oc science, like what is occupation, what makes it up, looking at like the PEO. And when we look at the environment, it's more than just what you can see around you. And I think mm-hmm. that a lot of OTs, when they get sort of, you know, whether it's pressure or time or they just never learned it in the first place, you need to be able to look like if you can't look at a macro level environment and see like the policies that are impacting a person and how it might be either enabling or disabling a person to engage in an occupation, it's time to pick up a book. 
because that's yeah. massively important and more important to certain populations who are more heavily impacted by certain policies. Like you look at any sort of right. disability population, generally, and I'm, this is general because it's only in the main sort of the bigger westernized countries that I know of, most of those countries have a disability act of some sort, right. uh, which, you know, doesn't impact 90% of you know the population it impacts a specific group of people so you're gonna have to specifically look at that to start with um there's also you know public access acts i don't know some some countries may have that all included in a disability act i know in australia we've got um laws around you know access to public places and that sort of stuff but it's in a different act uh mm-hmm. like there's other mm-hmm. things that you're gonna have to look for when you're looking at the environment it's not just oh right. they've got trip hazards in their hallway let's remove that mat like that's not just the environment there's a lot more to it right. and like you said there's right. the social environment there we're looking at supports we're looking at friends family not just are they there how supportive are they how often do they see them do they actually mm-hmm. like them like do they get along <laughs> right. with these people or are we mm-hmm. trying to force a support that they don't actually want in their house like there's yes. environment, if you're looking at, you know, the basics, person, occupation, environment, environment is by far and away the biggest of things that we need to be looking at. Right. And it shits me that most OTs that I uh, talk to or I've seen seem to look at like maybe 10% of what you can actually look at under mm-hmm. environment. And then just sort mm-hmm. of, uh, the rest must be all right. We'll just forget yeah. it. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I believe that, you know, we, we all take cognitive shortcuts, I'll call it, um, because of, oh, yeah. you know, all the external pressures with time and that sort of thing. But for, I mean, the sake of, you know, the communities that we work with, but also for the integrity of what we do as a profession, like you really have to be intentional um, about thinking about the, the, the environment as a whole. And I don't know, maybe, maybe part of it is how we educate our students about it as well. You know, um, I'm sort of running Willard and Spackman through my mind because we're, um, uh, in the revision phase for the next edition, you know, what's, what's the language around some of these models like PEO, POP, MOHO and all, and all of these things, you know, um, at, you know, at UNC, we talk about the transactional perspective on occupation. You know, that was, that was birthed from Virginia Dickey, Ruth Humphrey and, um, Malcolm Cutchin. Um, but when you take sort of these more abstract sorts of things, right, like everything transact, uh, transact with her, the environment and, and people sort of transact in this uh, co-constructing ways and, you know, yep. we act on, you know, each other and it comes back on us, all these things. Right. But the you, of course, we always get the question, well, what, what, how, how do we model that in practice? You know, and, and people want it packaged nice and neatly. It's like our, our lives are nuanced and they're complicated and complex and we can't always package things you know, in this neat little box to present it to students. You know, we talk about it in, in very real ways, you know, that it's messy and you, we have all of these considerations and it might not always 
emerge and manifest and practice in ways that are going to be neat. But these are still considerations and very important, critical considerations um, we have to give in our work. And I know we're talking about it in relation to practice a lot, but it's the same. It's the same with research. Hmm. Same with research as well. You know, having these very limited um, interpretations of data, you know, and when you layer on race and ethnicity and how those things are discussed in data, just it just proliferates all of the issues that we love to admire and make Instagram posts about. <laughs> Well, bring it back full circle. No, that's, yeah, that's really good because the other thing that I wanted to say before was around, like, it, it sounds very much like, you know, we're shitting on everyone on Instagram and that wasn't sort of the main aim. No, it's, that, it's, it's I a, didn't mean for it to come out like this. It's a, it's a, no, I was going to say a minority, but it's probably quite a few, but it's more of a culture on Instagram, which made me makes me think that there's a lot of, especially I think younger therapists coming through, new graduates, even students that, you know, probably are falling into a few of the traps that we've discussed. But I I wonder whether it's, for them anyway, it's more just, oh, this is what everyone's doing. It's more just the, an enculturation of them into that sort of Instagram thing rather than them specifically going hunting for, you know, likes and comments and that kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. Not saying that that makes it right or anything, but I'm wondering whether, like... The, to me, the fact that people are being influenced by that sort of, I'm going to call it an Instagram culture, um, mm-hmm. means that we can change it. The fact that mm-hmm. it happens that way means that we can make it happen a different way. Um, yeah. I don't know how. I don't have the answers for that, how we can do that, yeah. or whether whether we can on that particular platform or not. Um, but I, I do think, and it, it sort of ties in with something that I've said multiple times on this podcast is that therapists don't currently have enough critical thinking skills um, mm. because I don't or, or if they do we very rarely aim them at ourselves we're very hesitant to reflect on well how have I been operating how why why did I make this decision or why am I doing it why am I posting this this thing why am i why do i feel this need and if you know it really is something that i am passionate about what else am i going to do about it um right. and i i think that that lack of reflection uh and critical critical reflection specifically is a big proponent of why that culture's come about in the first place because it's people just oh I'll post that oh look that gave me a big dopamine hit we'll do it again next time something comes up as opposed right. to like if I ask someone like why 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 specifically that why did you choose those words because I'm big on semantics um, mm. why did you choose to say it like that or why did you frame it like that or whatever I would almost guarantee that the majority of the people wouldn't they'd be like oh I just just said it or so I saw it somewhere else posted it like that or mm-hmm. you know and it's just kind of oh, I was just mob mentality I was just, oh, I was just going with the yeah. crowd kind of thing mm-hmm. um, but it does mean that if you are conscious of it, like, you know, we we would know quite a few people that are conscious of that kind of thing. I want to encourage people to think about 
why they're posting things and how they're posting it or what else, you know, if it is something that they're genuinely passionate about, what else are you going to do about it? But also if you're mm-hmm. conscious about it, don't – I see a lot of people who are conscious but don't post when those kinds of things come up because they're like, oh, everyone else is just posting shit. But that's – to me, that's – it's kind of like the whole like, oh, nobody knows what OTs do. I'm like, that's because we don't talk about it and we don't explain mm-hmm. it in ways that they can understand. And it's the same with, right. with this, I see anyway. Like if you mm-hmm. are conscious, like this is your opportunity to show other people or have influence on other people the right way or like show them what you're doing or how they can actually get involved and help as opposed to just, yeah. you know, posting a hashtag or a colored square or some other, whatever yeah. the cause is um, that they're, they're posting about. Like the posting opportunities of how people can get involved you know right i've seen mm-hmm. i have seen some really good posts about like you know if you care about this like you can write here's the address you can write to this person here's a template that you can use to start with and then add your own little spiel onto it like you, some of those things you do need to you know make them sort of path of least resistance for some people but at least there's some yeah. direction of actually right. action as opposed to just awareness. Yeah. Like uh, I, think, right. I think that's going to be one of my big reflective points with a lot of those things. Like is this action or is this just awareness? Um, yeah. Because there's very few yeah. things in the world nowadays that people aren't aware of. And if exactly. And if they are, especially something like, you know, say racism, if you're not aware that it's there, then uh, yeah, there's a good chance you're part of the problem. But anyway, that's... Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> No, uh, yeah, and as far as changing the the culture on Instagram specifically, you know, it's I'm not sure what we can do either. You know, I personally try to like I go back and forth with it, right? Like I I feel like I'm uh, like I'm not I'm not controversial, but I am fairly provocative in the way that I talk about things, and that's not on purpose that's just who i am Personality. <laughs> um, yeah and i believe in in naming things what they are I'm not going to beat around the bush um um but also challenge people to think deeper and more broadly about these issues sometimes i provide very tangible things but i really prefer people go do their own education right because this is a lot of free labor <laughs> that we do on Instagram, but, but you're right that sometimes we have to provide like a little something like the last year after, after, uh, Mr. Uh, George Floyd was, um, murdered. I did write a template that I said, you know, here's a starting point for people mm-hmm. to be able to voice their concerns to AOTA, you know, that, that turned into a thing. Right. And I was like, all right, people understand now that this is something they can do. They can share. I don't need to do that every time. No. <laughs> um, but you know, but the folks that I feel like students in particular lean on um, don't necessarily provide that sort of guidance, like adequate guidance around um, probably because they're not really themselves, right? You know, fairness, you know, but not about action. And I also think that that was the trap that AOTA in particular fell into. It's like you, you're posting just to post, you know, but what are what are the actual things that you're doing? Like, where are the receipts? Mm, mm. <laughs> you know, um, 
and may and maybe and I'm going to include myself in this as well you know for those of us that that do this work regularly may, maybe part of what we need to do to change the the culture on Instagram is to show a little bit more of that you know I don't I just saw a meme about this yesterday I was going to post some of my stories that there, there's so much that happens between posts there's yeah. so much that doesn't get shared um, and what I hope that part of what I do is show that one you have to really be intentional about the things that you do you can't just talk about it but you also need some sort of balance in your life Mm. (laughs) you know because Brock I am tired Mm. you know this this stuff is ongoing right so that's why I also share things about my dog or cocktails that I make or you know things that I cook or (laughs) you know traveling just finding joy in all these other things because the world beats you down and so that's the other thing I don't I, I want students to you know, always keep advocacy and, and justice and everything in the forefront of their mind because they're so, you know, the way that our societies are built, you know, there's, 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 a, there's injustice uh, in everything, right? Like, even the way this country was founded was on, you know, the, the, the genocide of indigenous peoples. Like, it's, it's not something that we can afford to not consider without doing harm and trauma to the communities we serve. But don't, don't lose your spirit in that either. You know, we have to do things to take care of ourselves. So while, yes, we probably need to post all of these other things about getting involved in very specific ways and doing that, um, I will continue to share all the other things too. Um, not to say that that's what you were suggesting, but also just wanted to put it out there that um, balance is nice. But oh, what yeah, I yeah. don't want is that, you know, the I think the, the people that we're addressing about you know, sort of being, I'm going to call them passive activists by saying, I'm going to bring awareness to this issue that everybody knows has existed for a hundred years <laughs> that, you know, think about the why before you post. And if you're not actively doing something behind the scenes, like if you can't provide me a receipt, if I DM you and say like, Hey, I like that post. What, what did you do to address the mm. issue? Like, don't, don't ignore it. (laughs) I want you to sit with that because if you aren't doing something about it, that's a problem. Like you're, you're really a part of the problem. You can't sit there and say like, oh yeah, we got to support, um, you know, people of, uh, of color who have disabilities, but you don't support grassroots efforts or, um, not connected with anybody in your own community who's doing that kind of work, Mm. you know? whatever it is if you if it's not donate money like donate something else you know write letters make phone calls like there's so many other things that you can do since you know we're keyboard activists in very very (laughs) ways you know do something beyond your instagram post your tweet whatever yeah that's that's more what i was targeting my call to action for not you specifically but more like if rather than just you know post a post saying hey look this is an issue like you said uh actually do something and you'll find that information out there like because chances are if you've just found out about it even if you've just found out about it there's a lot of other people that already knew 
Because right. I and right. the, what you touched on before about being tired, I, I had a, the similar conversation in the episode that I did with Turbarucci around um, essentially racism within an Australian healthcare setting, uh, uh, and he highlighted the same thing. He he, I can't remember his exact words, but paraphrasing, he was essentially like that anyone who's wanting to help the situation, you can't rely on people in those minority places to always be the you know the driving force behind it like he was kind enough and happy enough to to come on and you know we laid out all the information all the basic sort of information around on the podcast itself mm-hmm. um and then you know provided a whole heap of books and resources uh people need to actually take that like i can't always be giving them the sort of here's exactly what you need to do like here's some resources you need to educate yourself for for starters right yeah yeah that and that's i don't i i I don't understand the need uh or the um what's the word i'm looking for entitlement Mm -hmm. (laughs) to education that uh that people feel the need like they want to be spoon-fed everything like Google is powerful. <laughs> These are a quick Google search, you know. Um, there's a reason they're one of the biggest companies in the world because yes, they're really Google, good at what they do. Google could buy Earth. Yeah, you know? I'm pretty sure they already they have. have. They have yeah. Google Earth. They already yeah. own it. I don't know, Google or Amazon. One of the two is going to have that. You Google the resource and... I'm saying Amazon, although if you can support, obviously, your, your local bookstore or other information suppliers, support them. Uh, but the information is already available to you. And, you know, because there's always an issue with compensating people, that's a way you can access it for free without asking <laughs> the rest of us. But, um, but the, yeah. The, the good thing I found, too, in mainly looking through some of the resources that Turpa gave me through that conversation is in a lot of instances when you actually get those resources so he he recommended a few books you're actually supporting the people who need who are a part of that like so the books he were recommended were written by aboriginal people so by mm-hmm. purchasing their resources and learning about the situation edu- as a sort of a i don't know i guess a side benefit of teaching yourself and learning more about the issue and then working out what you can do about it, you're also supporting the people that you know you're trying to learn how to support in a different way as well. So it's got this sort of uh, uh, financial, I guess, support thing along with it. If if there are resources mm-hmm. to purchase, so mm-hmm. a lot of the resources are are developed uh, mm-hmm. by the people. Uh, to researchers, that's the image that comes to mind, you know, and there is so much more out there that are by folk of color um but it's it's not their work that is is deemed you know the the highest level which you know we could do a whole podcast on that too <laughs> amazing well i know you've i know you've got to run i won't keep you any longer thank you so much for, yeah. for coming back it's always an awesome conversation yes. we definitely need to do it again 
uh yeah is there where can people find your amazing cocktails and salads <laughs> and fashion yeah. and fashion oh my goodness all 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 the things right so on things. instagram i am the academic diva beautiful and i'll throw that link and any others are oh, your twitter account as well i'll throw that in the show notes so that people can check you out if they aren't already following you for epic friday night drinks and food and fashion advice (laughs) as well as you might learn a few things as well so awesome i appreciate you friend thank you not a problem thanks again (laughs) if you liked this episode and want to check out more head over to occupiedpodcast.com or search Occupied Podcast in your favorite podcasting app. If you have thoughts or reflections on the topics discussed today, please do get in contact. We'd love to hear from you. And lastly, if you got some value from this and you want to help us out, like, subscribe, and share it with a friend. Remember, be good to yourself, be good to others, and always keep occupied.